0: I wonder how you'd greet Jesus if he came in here this evening. Um, it's not actually a theoretical question, because when you uh, worship God, God um, actually comes and he is with us by his Holy Spirit. Uh, so this isn't a kind of, oh, if Jesus was here, what would you think? Because Jesus is here. Um, and you're like, yeah, but you know, if it was the physical Jesus, you know, that, I'd respond differently. Uh, I, I'd be able to notice him more, and it wouldn't be the same kind of challenge, and that would be fine. But... Interestingly, the accounts of Jesus' life on earth tell us that when the physical Jesus turned up, different people responded differently uh, to that. And uh, he received, it's fair to say, a variety of greetings from different people. And Tonight, we're going to look at um, one story that tells us about two greetings which Jesus received. Um, and It's really going to force us into a choice, actually, in terms of how we are going to respond uh, to him. Uh, It's a story that you can find in uh, the seventh chapter of Luke's Gospel. Um, It'll come up on the screen. I'm I'm going to read it to us, and then we're going to see uh, some things I believe uh, Jesus wants to speak to us about through it. It goes like this. One of the Pharisees asked him, that's Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his hair with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus, answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, these are fairly early days in Jesus' ministry, but he is already getting a reputation. And uh, it is a reputation for hanging out with the wrong sorts of people. That's certainly what the people who thought they were the right sorts of people uh, thought that he was up to. And uh, they really want to know, therefore, who is he? Who does he think he is? Uh, where does he think he's get, get these ideas from? What is he up to? And so they invite him to a meal uh, to, to find out more about him. A meal was a place where you might um, have discussions with people, you might have debates with people. So that would have been part of what they were doing uh, when Simon the Pharisee said to Jesus, uh, come round to my house uh, for a meal. Um, he would have, you know, there would have been a crowd there and they were going to talk some things through and they would have wanted to see where did Jesus' teaching come from. Uh, they would have also thought, well, this is a chance to just to see how he acts in the company of his superiors. Uh, that's what they would have thought themselves as. Uh, and that's how everyone in that community also would have thought of them. Um, that the Pharisees, they, they were the most respected people in their, in their community. Uh, so you think of whoever that is equivalent for you, it's a whole load of them inviting Jesus around uh, for dinner. And because meals like this in this context could be quite public events, uh, they would have thought, well, a bunch of these people who have been following Jesus, uh, they will, a few of them will probably be around as well, and they will see us put him in his place, and that will just help to kind of just keep a lid on things and help remind them and him, you know, who's in charge around here, who's right and who's wrong. And so given that, that that's the setting for this meal, it's not, it's not a surprise really uh, that Jesus gets um, a, a much less than a warm welcome. It's a cold welcome, in fact. Now, every culture has ways of making people feel welcome or not uh, when they come around for a meal. Uh, You would know, particularly in your own culture, if you've you've worked or lived cross-culturally, you sometimes go into people's houses and, and they do things to you and think, is this good? I don't know. But in your own culture, you know exactly if someone's happy to see you or not. Uh, So this lunchtime, uh, I arrived at someone's house, knocked on the door, and they're like, oh, hi, it's great to see you. Come in. Here's a seat. Get some food. I knew I was welcome. It's really clear. If, on the other hand, you open the door to someone and kind of grunt and just immediately turn your back on them and leave them to kind of come in and close the door and put their clothes somewhere, and, and you're just on your phone the whole time, they will think, huh, I'm not particularly welcome here. Well, Jesus says that Simon uh, does three things to show that Jesus wasn't welcome at this, at this meal, even though he was invited to it. He says uh, that he wasn't given water to wash his feet. Remember, this is a culture in which most people wore sandals and there was no concrete, so you've got lots of muddy uh, dirt track roads and people wearing sandals. And that means feet are disgusting. And so what you would do when you went to someone's house is that you, they would give you water to wash your feet. as a way of kind of freshening you up. Um, he says that Jesus says he wasn't given a kiss of greeting, uh, and some of us would you know, if someone came into a house, we would, we would kiss them, or we would either give them a hug or a handshake, or, or just some way of physically saying, "You are welcome here." Jesus says they don't do that either. And he wasn't offered anything to make himself presentable. That's what this anointing with oil was. That's what people would do. Uh, one of the things about oil would just be like, it's just, it, you know, I've been on a long, hot journey. I live in a hot place. I'm tired. I'm a bit of a mess. People would be like, well, you know, here's how to get yourself just feeling presentable for this meal. And he doesn't get that either. And by refusing to do these things, Simon is he's basically keeping his distance from him and Jesus. He is, uh, He's showing that he is reserving judgment on who Jesus is. Because if Jesus is the wrong kind of guy, you don't want to have anything to do with him. So Simon's just like, I'm not sure, at best. At worst, he's like, I already know what I think about him, and therefore, I'm keeping my distance from him. Now, we've come to church this evening, so most of us here probably think this is bad, because it's Jesus. And you're supposed to treat Jesus well, because he's wonderful, But actually, I think we're all tempted to treat Jesus this way. See, one of the biggest problems that the Pharisees had with Jesus is that he did not fit their expectations. They thought they knew how God was going to act and what God was like. And so when God came amongst them and started doing unexpected things, they didn't like it and they didn't think that it was God. And I think all of us have to deal with this because all of us have preconceived ideas of what God is like. Even if you've grown up, you know, you've know you read the Bible since before you could read, and you have been brought up by people who love Jesus, and you've been surrounded by people who love Jesus, uh, there are still uh, forces internal to you and external to you that are, it, that, are, that are at work to make you disagree with God. These forces can deceive us into thinking that we've got God figured out. We know what he's like. We know what he does. We know what he likes. We know what he doesn't. And do you know what? Nine times out of ten, what God is like is exactly what we want him to be like. That's, that's, that's the God that we construct in our minds. And so we hear people say, oh yeah, I, I love God and, and God made me this way. And so that's who I am. And we hear people say, yeah, yeah, I love God and the God I believe in wouldn't do this or wouldn't do that. And we can kind of think this way and we can think, hey, I've got God all figured out. And then Jesus tells us to stop doing something that we enjoy doing. Or he tells us that he wants us to do something that we feel really awkward about doing. Or we read something in the Bible and we think, well, this doesn't fit with what I think about God. And it certainly doesn't fit with what everyone around me thinks. Or maybe God doesn't come through for us in the way that we feel that he ought to. In in that moment, our expectations of of who God is are being challenged. Now, do we welcome God at that moment? So it's easy to look at the Pharisee and be like, oh, no, he was so wrong. But I think all of us face this challenge. And I I want us to be uh, honest with God about that this evening. It's a, it's a challenge. If you, so I've been, probably, you know, I've been following Jesus like 20, 25 years or so. Uh, I, I read the Bible a lot. It's, almost, it's part of my job uh, to do this. And it can, be really, it can be easy to think, yes, I've got God figured out. Uh, but I clearly haven't because he is infinite. And, and I have a finite brain. Uh, and I've been going at it for a couple of decades. And he's timeless. Uh, and all of these things are at work. And so the whole time when I'm learning about God, I'm also learning that I'm learning about him. And I'm not kind of coming to a point where I'm like, great, got it. Now, I think there are things that he's revealed clearly uh, that contradict what I feel and contradict what the culture says, and I have to wrestle with that. Uh, But all of us, uh, even when we feel, even as we get revelation of who he is, there's still more to learn and more to understand and and to be challenged by him. And the, the challenge is, at that point, to still welcome him and not to be like, oh, no, I don't like that bit of you. This bit's fine, but not that bit, thank you. But to welcome him as he is. Well, let's look then at how the woman welcomes Jesus and and why she does. And we know almost nothing about her. We don't even know her name. I'm not even sure we know what city this was in. So we don't know where she's from or anything. We just know that she's a woman. um, And that she had heard that God's grace and forgiveness were on offer for all those who repented of their way of life and followed Jesus. She'd heard someone tell her that. Might have been John the Baptist, might have been Jesus himself. And she heard it and she thought, that is what I need. I need that. I need to be forgiven. I need to be right with God. I need him to rescue me. I need him to save me. And that immediately puts her in contrast with Simon. So slightly earlier in this chapter, Luke says uh, that there are loads of people responding to Jesus. And there are people like her. And there's loads of people not responding to Jesus. And there are people like Simon. Uh, and so she's, she's clearly in a different camp uh, to Simon. Uh, she's known as a sinner. And people generally assume that that means that she's a prostitute. Uh, we don't know that. But whatever it was that she had done, clearly it was public knowledge. Uh, She had a reputation. Uh, Whatever it is that she'd done, everyone knew about it. But none of that mattered to her anymore because she had heard and believed that all her sins could be forgiven by God. All of them. All of them. Everything she'd ever done, everything she'd ever done wrong. God would deal with it instead of her being left to try and deal with it. And so she was free uh, from guilt. She was free uh, from carrying a debt, a burden of debt. She was free from shame, all because of Jesus. This totally changed her whole life. She suddenly realized that she was loved by God and that she could come to God. And so then she hears that Jesus is going to be eating at Simon's house. And she's like, I've got a chance to go and see him. And so she goes to greet him. Now kind of, it's one of those weird things, Well, how does she get in? Because I think we can be pretty sure that she wasn't on the guest list. I don't think Sarah was like, let me find all the worst people in town because she just has a reputation for eating with the worst people in town and these people don't like that. So I don't think she was invited. But you know what, determined people find a way. They find a way and uh, like I said, this was a public meal, uh, and part of the a- uh, the aspect of that, people say pro- the door was probably open. Uh, Again, okay, it's not like an Englishman's house and his castle kind of thing like this, where you're like it's very you know we're very much the doors are open or closed. It, it may even have been slightly more like when you're at a flat party and just whoever's nearest the buzzer, you know, if the buzzer goes in, you come. That's how it goes, yeah. And it's it's more like that. Because there was going to be a crowd around the central table where uh, people were eating. And so that's what happens. And off, in the same way, often at flat parties, you're like, who let them in? <laughs> that happens here. Because the moment Jesus arrives, she responds and people start thinking, who let her in? And she came with a plan. She knew Jesus was going to be there, and so she brought ointment. She wanted to anoint Jesus. She wanted to to thank him. She wanted to worship him. But then she does more. So she's got a plan, but she also acts spontaneously. So what would have been happening at the meal, like I said, kind of like this, there would have been like the outer part of the room and then there would have been a table centrally in the middle where all the food would have been served. And then people didn't sit like on chairs at a table like we do. They would have reclined. So they'd have been kind of leaning. The table would have been low. Uh, And that means that basically everyone's kind of hands and mouths were near the table, which is what you want, and all their feet were further away from the table, which is also what you want, particularly when everyone wears sandals. Yeah, so that was kind of, that that was what the, the room would have been like. And so Jesus' feet are the the part of him kind of closest to the edge of the room where she would have been. And she sees how no one has welcomed him as as they should have done. She sees how rudely he's treated. And that no no one's offered him water to wash his feet. And and whether or not it's because she's just moved by who he is and what he's done for her, or or she just is so angry and upset about how this man who has changed her life is being treated by people, either way, she starts weeping. So she brought ointment to anoint him, but now she is washing him. She's washing his feet and she, she didn't bring water, there's no jar, she's suddenly doing this, a spontaneous moment, and her tears will be sufficient. And you, and you kind of think, ah, yes, and you'll have heard the story, so like, you know, maybe if you're a Christian, you'll have heard this story, and you're like, yes, of course, her tears you know, washed his feet. How much do you have to be crying to wash someone's feet with your tears? Like, I mean, that is a lot of crying. That's not the kind of you know, single tear emoji, is it? It's not even like the kind of full-on thing, it is it is emotion. It is, I'm, I doubt it was quiet. Yeah, she is really bawling. She's just, she's just pouring out, weeping and weeping and weeping. There was no, there's no restraint on her at this point. And she hasn't brought a towel. And now, she's wearing a robe, so she could just dry him with a robe, but she doesn't do that. She lets her hair down, and she dries his feet with her hair. And women in that context never uncovered their hair in public. And in fact, on a couple's wedding night, a new bride would let down her hair for her husband to see it for the first time. So those are the connotations. So like even with that picture, it's very sensual, isn't it? It may even you made you feel a little awkward. You're like, that's Jesus' feet. Look at her. Look at what she's looking like. Look how she's caressing him. You're feeling that a bit and you're familiar with this story. Can you imagine how the people there were feeling about this? What's she doing? She is associating herself wholly with Jesus. She is pledging herself fully and exclusively to him. It really is almost like a marriage moment where she's saying, I am his. I'm so fully and utterly his. Now, maybe she doesn't care about her reputation because it's been trashed. It's gone. There's n- she doesn't need to worry. Or maybe she doesn't care because all she cares about is Jesus. And this is her one chance to see him and to thank him. And so she just goes for it. But Jesus gives us the definitive explanation of why she acts in this way. He tells this parable of a debt. 50 denarius, that's like two months' wages. Five hundreds, like 20 months wages. And it kind of doesn't matter how much it is, the debt, because Jesus says neither of them could pay. And so her story is that a debt that she could not pay has been canceled. So a burden that she has, was carrying has been lifted from her. She's been forgiven for everything. And there was a lot to forgive. And because Jesus has done this for her, she loves him. 1 John chapter 4:19 says we love because he first loved us. His love motivates our love. It stirs us to love him. I remember going to a church once uh, where there was a guy he was so loud during the time of singing, like so loud. He he was singing just and, and he would then keep singing when everyone else stopped. And he would just, he just said, Jesus. It was like, it wasn't Jesus. He was like, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And other people would pray. And he'd be like, oh, man. And then he'd be Jesus again. And then he'd start singing. And then we'd all sing. And you're like, there's, a, <laughs> there were like hundreds of people there. It was amplified. And you could hear him wherever you were in the room. And. Pardon me. I clearly can't do that, even if I feel that way. Uh, and His just vocal cords are more used to him doing this because he did it all the time. I later learned that God had saved him for a li- from a life of drug addiction and all sorts of evil. And, and so when I heard that, I was like, okay, I get it. I understand why he's making so much noise. But as someone commented, the difference between him and the rest of us is that He knows how much he's been forgiven and saved from. And we've forgotten or we never realized. Now, if you've put your faith in Jesus, you don't have to be really loud to be sincere. That is not the measurement of sincerity. But you do need to be aware that a debt that you could not pay has been paid. And you do need to be aware that Jesus was shamed on the cross. It wasn't simply that he was punished and, and, and painful things happened to him. He was shamed on the cross so that you never need be before God. And whether everyone knows what you did or it's just between you and God, it has been dealt with. It has been removed if you have given your life to Jesus, if you've said, instead of me dealing with this, Jesus, please deal with it on the cross. It isn't that God doesn't care about what you've done. God cares immensely. He cares more than you care. Jesus doesn't say of her, oh, she was just being herself. He doesn't say, yeah, she was a victim of circumstance. He doesn't say any of those things. He says her sins were many. And Simon had a very high view of sin, Jesus had an even higher view of sin. And Jesus knew that he was the solution to her sin. And because of what he's done, this means that any of us here can hear these words of absolute love and certainty from Jesus. These three wonderful things that he says to her. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So are you greeting Jesus more like Simon or like this woman? Are you keeping your distance because Jesus won't conform himself to your expectations and your preferences? Or are you giving him everything because he's given you everything? Now, of course, if you're a Christian, you probably move between those two positions, you know, during the day, over the course of a year, even you know, through your life, depending on what's going on. But Jesus is inviting us now to take a moment now to come to him as those whose debts have been forgiven, whose shame has been taken, whose burden has been removed. Remember what Simon thought to himself. He's like, is this man really, is this man really a prophet? It's really funny what happens, isn't it? Because Jesus then knows exactly what he's thinking, which is the kind of thing prophets do. And then later, Jesus doesn't even, because Jesus is so subtle about these things. He also says, I know everything about that woman's life as well. He says, her sins were many. He knows all about that too. And Jesus knows what you're thinking and what you've thought. And he knows what you're doing and what you've done. And he welcomes you. So even as we think about how we'd welcome him, we find that he welcomes us with all our sin and all our shame. And he loves to receive our love. And so that's what I want us to spend a few minutes doing uh, this evening, and then to make this part of our lives, the part of what we do every day. So, band, if you could, uh, if you could come up, and we'll sing in a moment. Uh, but what I, I want to ask you to to just speak honestly to God right now, and to just to tell him. Well, less about telling him, and more about confessing. If you've maybe been, you've been keeping your distance, you've been refu- refusing to adjust your expectations of him. I want to encourage you tonight's the night to, to repent of that. And I know we're still forming our understanding, we're always growing. But actually there's moments where we think I have been getting this wrong and it's got to stop. And now's the time to do that. Or if there's just anything else that you've been doing, you just know, I've been doing this wrong. I shouldn't have been doing this. I've been doing it. Now's the time to say to God, I'm sorry. Please, please forgive me. He always does. But you need to come to him. You need to ask for forgiveness. And then you can know it. And then once we've done that, we will celebrate and we'll, we'll sing loudly or as loudly as you want. But the important point is that we do it sincerely as those who are forgiven. So a couple of moments. Just repent. Maybe you've been keeping your distance. Maybe there's just other things you've been doing. That if, Whether God only, God only knows it or everyone knows you're like this. Speak with him just in your heart now. And then, after a couple of minutes, knowing that we're forgiven, we can praise him for his love.